I'm Erin Polly, a community organizer, yoga teacher, and healer who is obsessed with sharing tools with people so they can heal themselves and the world. Self-Care Level 1000 is about the many ways we nurture ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually so that we show up more fully in the world and do the good work that needs to be done. We will get curious together about how we can practice self-care in multiple ways with many modalities, leveling up the love we show ourselves every day. Raymond Nashiel is the founder and CEO of Balance Period, a wellness and health equity firm. His company is focused on creating a world where generational wellness is accessible to everyone. Ray is a wellness consultant with a degree in kinesiology from Indiana University and almost a decade of experience in the health and wellness industry. After a long road to recovery from a pulmonary embolism in 2017, Ray dedicated his time and energy to understanding how he can maintain optimal well-being and pass down healthier habits to the next generation of his family. He now uses what he learned to empower others to incrementally improve their quality of life and be the change they want to see in their family and community. And also, Ray, something very cool about him is that he is training for a 50K on June 3rd. So amazing. So welcome, Ray. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I'm, I'm really excited to, to speak with you today. Yes. And there's so much to learn from you. So I am really excited about this conversation. Just when you and I met before, I didn't want the conversation to end. So uh, so I just am so grateful to you sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. So as I mentioned in your bio, you had this very significant event regarding your health take place and you were just 23 at the time, right? So yeah, so tell us about what that experience opened up to you. How did you view your health and wellness at that time? And then what did that health event, how did it open things up for you and change the way you viewed yourself? Yeah. So leading up to the point of experiencing that pulmonary embolism, I really didn't see my health as anything more than just like my physical health. So at that time I was a full-time personal trainer and I was really just into the aesthetic behind exercise. And I really didn't think too much about my emotional health, my spiritual health, or any other domain of wellness that I now know is important and contributes to our overall well-being. I was just unaware of it and I really didn't pay attention to it. And so leading up to that point, I, you know, I I was in a position to where I had the background knowledge to be able to create some sustainable change as it related to my overall well-being, but I just didn't have the circumstances to to bring that about. And that's what I believe the blood clot did for me. And I know, you know, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And so I believe that I wouldn't be who I am today without that happening. But what that did for me is shifted my mindset to understand that there's more that contributes to how I feel and how I function aside from exercise. And I realized that the things I was doing was what actually impacted me experiencing the pulmonary embolism in the first place. So it was a combination of it running in my family and the habits I was practicing at the time that that brought it about. So it really shifted my perspective to just get more curious, I would say, to think about, well, what about my mental health? What about my spiritual health? 
right? Like what, what can I do similar to exercise to maintain a high level of physical well-being? Like what are habits that I could practice that I could use to maintain my health in these other areas? And that's what really like prompted me to explore more and to embark on this journey of searching for a more holistic way to care for myself, which is what has brought me to where I am today. And I, I'm so grateful and I'm sure so many other people are that you survived that. And, you know, yes, so many things do happen for a reason. And now you're on this path and we're going to dig in more about what it is that you actually do. But can you talk about what were some of the first shifts that really occurred for you? What were some of the things that just really opened up for you? Like, what did you actually change in your life? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, in, in, in experiencing, a, you know, a physical health trauma, the first thing I was adjusting was how I care for myself physically, just because it made the most sense. So after about six months of really just being more intentional about how I trained and, you know, looking to get into a rhythm of, you know, being less focused on just the aesthetic, but more on like just building muscle and doing the other things that I found to be valuable for like sustained physical health. I started to explore more about how I could care for myself mentally and emotionally. And so the biggest change that came from that was me adopting a mindfulness practice. And at the time, I was a little unsure about adopting mindfulness and, and figuring out how to integrate it into my life. And that just came from personal life experience growing up in the church. That was something that was kind of looked down upon. I was told that that wasn't something that was of God, right? And that wasn't something that was aligned with my religious values to practice things like meditation. So there was a bit of resistance early on. But after I kind of worked myself through that and gave it a try, I experienced some significant shifts in how I related with the present moment, which was really powerful for me. I used to spend a lot of my time either ruminating on things from the past or being very worrisome about things that potentially happen in the future. And so understanding that through a, a quick practice, right? And at that time for me, it was maybe like 10 minutes a day. I would just sit in stillness. I would listen to a guided meditation. And that practice in and of itself would allow me to fully engaged with the present moment. And I'll be able to take that mindful perspective that I cultivated in those 10 minutes with me throughout the rest of my day. So I would say that was the biggest shift. That was the biggest change that I made, which honestly, that's what really like motivated me to want to share my journey with other people. Because I was like, if I could make a 10 minute change in my day that created this level of increased well-being, then anyone can do this too. Like, it's not just me that can experience this. That's really what prompted me to start my podcast and really start my business and brand because I realized that if I could do it, other people could too. And, and who am I to keep this and not share it with other people? So the biggest shift by far was just 10 minutes a day of practicing mindfulness. Yeah. And, you know, because you've been practicing for so long and you're, you're teaching others how to do it too, that the power in those mindfulness practices is in how they are cumulative. 
that, mm-hmm. you know, it is a daily practice that you may not experience some dramatic shift or you can, right? Like there are always are those moments in meditation where it's like, whoa, something is opened up and revealed to you. But also it is just in like how you react in your daily life, you know, how you respond to things rather than react to them and and how you don't live in the past and or, you know, in those um, predictions about the future. So I love that so much that that really shifted things for you and also just like how you thought about your overall uh, mental and physical well-being. So what uh, what teachers did you have? Did you have anybody in your life that was able to guide you? Were there any examples in your family or um, or friends around you that were engaging in these kind of practices? Honestly, at the time, no, there weren't. I was really on a solo journey. There were some books that I read. The one book that really helped me kind of gain a deeper understanding of the more practical side of mindfulness and meditation was called Smile at Fear, Awakening the True Heart of Bravery. And the name of the author is Chung Young Trumpa, I believe is how you pronounce it. But that really broke down the value that mindfulness could add. And so I listened to that audio book over and over and over and over again and was just integrating what was spoken into my life. And so I found guides outside of people that were in my proximity. And that also showed me that there was space for me to become the change that I wanted to see. Right. So that as I continue along my journey and as other people may find value in the practice too, that they could have someone that they could turn to and have conversations with and learn from um, in me. So I, unfortunately I didn't, but I, I don't want to say unfortunately, because I feel like that just created an environment for me to embody this leadership role as it relates to cultivating mindfulness and wanting to be there for other people to support them along their journey. And you talked about just growing up in in the black church and how there maybe was a stigma around some of these mindfulness practices. How did the people in your life react? How did they react to seeing you engage in these new practices and and seeing the shifts that were occurring for you? Yeah, I would say early on, it wasn't I wasn't like scolded for it or anything. It wasn't something that they were super curious about and wanted to try themselves. It was more so just like, oh, okay, like, uh, oh, you're doing that. As time progressed, though, that energy shifted a little bit and they became more curious. I think it was clear that it was a change that occurred in me as a person. And the fact that I attributed the practice of mindfulness to that change, I think over time, it just led for more curiosity to be the case for those that I interacted with on a consistent basis. So I would say early on, it it wasn't that they were right, like upset at me or, you know, saying that, oh, I'm going to hell now because I'm doing this. But they were less curious to to want to learn more. But as time progressed, it was definitely something that, that they, they did want to just understand it better. And now I would say there's I don't know exactly how many people in my family, uh, but I would say there's a decent number that actually practice it. And as it relates to my community, I mean, I'm now known, uh, you know, around Indy and beyond as, you know, the person that will come and guide you through a mindful moment. So now people turn to me to guide mindfulness practices and guide mindfulness workshops and things like that. So I would definitely say that, you know, as time has progressed, um, it's definitely become more popular amongst the people that, that I'm around. 
That's incredible. And, you know, when you were just saying that, I was thinking like, who could be mad at a happier, healthier Ray, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> that's so beautiful. You're a living testament to these things. So, yeah, like all of this life experience and the personal changes that you made have led you into the career that you have now in this business that you've built. So, can you describe? You know, I want to know like what you actually do, but I want to know the deeper level of it. Like really like what is your mission in the work that you do? Yeah. So my mission and, and this kind of stems from my personal life mission, which I'll, I'll I'll share and then I'll also talk about how it relates to the business. But my personal life mission is to lead by example as I create generational wellness, financial freedom and time affluence for this generation last generation and the next two generations of my family. So it's a very big goal, right? And they're tapping into things that some people might not have heard of before, like time influence, which we can definitely talk more about. But that really informed what my overall business mission is, which is to create a world where generational wellness is accessible to everyone. And generational wellness is not just passing down healthy habits, but also exchanging healthy habits between generations, right? So in the case of of my family, and I kind of use myself as a case study, right, of what I want to see happen across families and across communities, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. You know, one person, me, experienced something that prompted them to embark on this journey, right? And I made a commitment to optimizing my health and well-being. I'm like, if I'm going to be here, I might as well be feeling good and functioning at my best on most days, right? So I made that commitment for myself. I adopted habits that were aligned with that being the case. And then I openly shared my story with the people around me to, over time, inspire and empower them to do the same. So now I have younger people in my family that are able to look to me for guidance, right? I'm able to pass down habits to them but at the same time, I'm also able to pass up, in this case, right, in a vertical, healthy habits to my parents and other people that are older than me and my family. So now I'm having conversations with my parents about their sleep quality and about, you know, their their blood testing and different things like that, that we wouldn't have had conversations about if I wasn't on this journey that I'm on right now. So it's really to let people know that it only takes one person to make the commitment in a family or even in a community to optimize their health, to adopt habits that they're able to model that are contributing to them experiencing an increased quality of life, and then being open to share their story with the people around them so that they can be the catalyst for the change that they want to see in those people's lives. So that is what the business is here for and what we do, right? And you're like, well, okay, well, what do you do? <laughs> and a lot of what we do is centered around education because of a lot of times we like we don't know what we don't know and especially in the black community these conversations haven't been had like right like we don't talk about things like mental health generally so there's a certain level of education that's necessary there's a certain level of you know storytelling that's necessary for people to see themselves in someone's story that they wouldn't have had a conversation you know like this with someone else to be able to understand that there is an opportunity for them to make shifts and adjustments to their lifestyle to improve their quality of life. So a lot of our education comes through podcasting. We create various different video series that, you know, speak to different aspects of well-being. And we just we put that out there for free for people to access and and learn from. Um, then we have equipment. And so we we spend time with 
you know, individuals or small groups, and we'll guide them through our emotional literacy program, which is called the Balanced Blueprint. It's a literal step-by-step guide to helping individuals align their mindset and habits with their values and goals. So we'll guide individuals through that. So we do coaching, consulting, and, you know, like keynotes, workshops, all centered around equipping people with the tools they need to actually execute on making these changes in their lives. And then we also focus on the execution portion of that as well, to where we'll, we'll stay with you for long term. Um, we have other resources that you can tap into that you're able to stick with us for the duration of time that you're looking to create generational wellness. So that's what we do day to day. A lot of it is in content creation. But aside from that, it's kind of in this this mentorship role and this coach role to where we're able to take you step by step through the process of bringing about these changes for yourself. It's really incredible what you do. I, I, you know, have checked out your website and looked at a lot of your resources. And as a community organizer and educator for more than 20 years, I, I know the effort that goes into those kinds of things, the creation of those kinds of educational materials and, you know, reaching out to community and sharing the importance of it. So I just like want to reflect back to you, like incredible work that you are doing and thank you for doing it. Also, you introduced me to this term generational wellness, and I think you coined it, right? Yes, I'm I'm the only person that I know of that uses it in the way that I use it. So, yeah, and I, mm-hmm. it, I, I'm curious just like where that came from. Like it, when I he- heard it, it absolutely made sense to me. And, you know, I, I can like connect it to what I know about generational wealth and how you build that. But how did mm-hmm. you how did you just come up with that? terminology to describe everything that you just told us you want to do. Yeah. So when I thought about the impact that I wanted to have, I started to think about other brands in other industries that are having a similar impact. And one that came to mind is earn your leisure, right? And they're all about financial literacy and it's centered around creating generational wealth. And it's really, I saw how popular it was in the black community. Right. Because like I said before, as it relates to wellness, there were also financial conversations that just weren't had. And there we didn't have access to a lot of things that, you know, our white counterparts had access to to create generational wealth. So the conversations needed to be had and they created a platform to do just that. So as I saw just the popularity of that of that like term and of what generational wealth was, I was like, well, when I really started to think about it. If we weren't at the same time creating generational wellness, then we would essentially end up spending all the money that we accumulate on trying to keep ourselves healthy. And so I was like, well, instead of only focusing on passing down assets to the next generation of our family, why don't we also focus on passing down healthy habits? Because and with a combination of mindset and habits, we're able to completely shift our quality of life. And when we think about the leading causes of death across the world, and you know, in this country, we have heart disease, we have cancer. And then now I believe the third is COVID just because of the last few years. But when we look at those, especially the first two, when you look at heart disease and look up how to prevent it, a lot of those things are habit-based. There are diet, 
their, you know, exercise patterns. There's, are we in this kind of bleeds over to cancer? Are we getting these preventative screenings, right? These things that help us maintain a high quality of life. And so when I kind of put all of that together, I realized there's a need for this and why not be the person that brings that conversation to light? Why not be the person that uses their own life experience as the blueprint and as the case study for why this is important for us to begin to think about and begin to take action on as we're going through this journey of creating generational wealth, generational wealth, because that's important too, but why not create generational wellness at the same time? So that was kind of the thought process. It was a little long-winded, but I kind of just took what was there that I saw resonated with people and just coined a term that I figured people would hear and be like, hmm, I may not have thought about it that way up until this point. And I feel like that's really all I need to initiate a conversation um, about the value of of what I do. Yeah, it absolutely impacted me. So it it landed for me completely. And feel like it's something that, you know, everyone should be talking about. You know, I, we, you and I discussed before, just there, are, we, we know that there are disparities in healthcare for Black, Indigenous people of color that, you know, that we are operating in, unfortunately, still a racist society. Our institutions are racist. We know there are just some statistics that I, I wanted to read. A black woman is 22% more likely to die from heart disease than a white woman, 71% more likely to die from cervical cancer, and 243% more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth-related causes. Yeah, those are like really, really hard things to hear and really, you know, brings to light just the reality of the systems that we do have to exist in. And, you know, I love that you're sharing so many other like alternative forms of wellness, but there just still is a distrust of the healthcare system for so many people. So can you talk about how you have those kinds of conversations with people when you are talking about generational wellness and doing those kinds of things that aren't necessary, like screenings and uh, just regular checkups. Like, how do you how do you have those conversations with people who just may be distrustful of the healthcare system? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Normally, what I do to start is just affirm that distrust. Like, I get it. I I understand wholeheartedly, and I think that. For me, it shows that there's an opportunity for us to just approach our relationship with the healthcare system different because it wasn't designed for us to thrive. Right. And when I say us, I'm talking about, you know, black and brown people in this country. So I think it's important for us to be aware that that's the case, not complain that that's the case, because that's just where we are. And I do believe that there is a certain level of accountability that needs to be taken by the creators of this healthcare system and the people that get to influence it and get to make changes. It's up to them to change what needs to be changed in order to make it more equitable for us. Like I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, but we can't control that, right? What we can control is our relationship with the healthcare system. So what I encourage people to do is to take greater accountability for how they go about collecting their data, how they go about learning about where they currently are as it relates to their well-being and then take that information so that they can have 
a more informed conversation with their healthcare provider. Instead of going there and just saying, okay, you know, take my blood, do this, do that, not asking any questions, right? Like that's going to keep us in the same position because the system itself hasn't changed. So we have to change how we approach the system. We have to change how we meet the system so that we can use the system to contribute to us experiencing an increased quality of life because we can do that. So what I talk about is my own personal experience. It's, you know, getting these more in-depth blood tests done. Right. And it is an investment for some people doing something like that isn't accessible because they just don't have the funds to do that. But there are other ways that are a little cheaper that you can go about getting screenings. There's a lot of organizations locally that have free screenings and free ways for you to get this information that then you can use to have informed conversations with your primary care physicians about ways that you can go about improving these different biomarkers that you end up getting these results on. Right. So I think that is where the conversation goes to. Right. It's like, what can we do with the resources we have? to continue to improve our quality of life, even if the system itself doesn't change because it needs to change, but I'm not quite sure when that change is going to happen. So we just have to change our approach with how we relate with the system. Mm, Yeah, that's good. Uh, You know, I also just think about like the ways that wellness in general is marketed in the United States, you know, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a white woman, um, thin with blonde hair. I am like the ideal of like what you see in advertisements of like self care products and, you know, and yoga products and, and, you know, just anything that is like related to, um, physical wellness. And so how do you think that impacts black and brown communities as well? Like, what are some of the other barriers you think that exists for people just being able to think about wellness as being something that's important? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones, and we briefly talked about it before, but these conversations weren't had at home. We didn't really have examples for what this looked like at home. And so now that we tend to consume a lot of media and we're seeing what wellness looks like from what you were just describing. It doesn't look like us. Mm. It kind of like it, it leads us to believe that that just that life isn't for us. So there's definitely a mindset shift that that is required for us to believe that we deserve to be well. And I think if we're able to shift our mindset to where that's the case, that opens up a lot of doors for opportunity for us to begin to get creative about how we can go about incorporating self-care into our, our routines. And and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I took time to redefine what self-care meant for me. Because when I originally was looking into self-care, right, in a more holistic way, if I were to go on social media and type in self-care, I wouldn't see anyone that looked like me. Most of the time, I wouldn't even see a guy. Like, Self-care wasn't for men when I originally was looking for it, right? Even though it always has been, it wasn't marketed for men and it wasn't something that was sustainable. So if it, you know, if I did see something, it was like getting your nails done, going to get a massage, going to the spa, things like that, which those aren't things that you can really engage in on a daily basis. So for me, I redefine self-care to merely being intentionally spending time with yourself. And that intention is to promote your optimal health and well-being. Mm. That's it. That takes out color. That takes out gender. It's just literally you spending time with yourself 
with intention and the intention behind that time you spend with yourself is centered around you optimizing your health and your well-being. And I've used the word optimal a lot. And I also want to define that because that isn't anything that's related to comparing where you are health wise to anyone else. The word optimal just means the best or most favorable outcome. And I think each one of us has our own state of what that looks like. We each have a best or most favorable outcome of our well-being. So I also wanted to highlight that. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah, I was going to sure. ask you to do that too, because uh, yeah, that's a word you use a lot, and you know, yes, it, um, that could mean different things for different people, and that attunement with yourself and knowing, you know, like today I feel good could feel greater, right? Like, what could I mm-hmm. do, you know, to feel greater? Um, that's, that's always so important. And I also just love, you know, what you're talking about, like on this podcast, like, you know, we're all I want to talk about is self care and all the different (laughs) ways that people can do that, that go beyond some of those ideas of what you're saying you saw on Instagram or TikTok. Like, you know, there are like ways that we nurture ourselves and, you know, they can be small things or big things, but making the time, finding the right thing for you. And maybe like self-care is just something like you just need to like attend to this one area of your life one one day and, you know, you're you're good for a while. But uh, I love also this other concept that you introduced earlier of time affluence. And I would love to hear you talk about that, what it is and what that can open up for people. Yeah. And so time affluence, it's more of uh, it's a sense, right? It's this feeling that you have enough time in the day to do the things that are most important to you. And it was some research that came out of Harvard Business Review. It might have been 2018, maybe, but they said 76 percent or it was maybe 80 percent of working Americans, something like that, felt like they were time poor. Like they didn't have enough time to do the things that mattered most to them. And that brought about a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of things that contribute to us not experiencing a high quality of life. And so time affluence, right, is just the opposite. And so it's how are you arranging how you're spending your time and energy on a daily basis so that you are able to when by the time you make it to the end of your day and even you you can experience this throughout the day, right? that I am where I'm supposed to be. I have enough time to do the things that I need to do today that are contributing to the things that are important to me, whether it's my self-care, spending time with the people I care about, doing the things that I need to at work, right? It's just taking your your day in a whole and aligning it in a way that you are able to feel like you have enough time with your 24 hours to do the things that that matter most to you. And a lot of that comes from a mindset shift. Um, but then it's also right in a practical sense, it's how are you spending your time and energy? Are you doing things that are draining you that are not really aligned with your values and goals? Most In most cases, right, when you take a zoom out view of your day and you're like, oh, I don't have enough time. I'm always trying to play catch up. I'm doing these things. Then there are probably times in your day that you're not spending doing things that are truly aligned with who you want to be and the things that you want to accomplish. So it, it takes some time to understand that for yourself. You kind of need to do a, a time audit, an energy audit, right, to figure that out. But it's it's possible. It's possible for us to experience this level of, of peace 
um, and just of well-being and it being centered around us having enough time in the day to do the things that matter most to us. So that is one of the things that I'm cultivating in my life that I will indeed be passing down to my children and anyone else that I get an opportunity to influence. Yeah, I do some coaching with people around that uh, that and what i asked them to do is like you said to do an audit to write down literally everything that you do in a day and the amount of time that you're doing it and put like a plus or a minus next to it is this in service to your goals or is it in disservice is it you know distracting you from what you want to do you know some people think like there's no way i could have 10 minutes to meditate but you know you Mm -hmm. spend maybe 30 minutes scrolling instagram so it's like yes you do have the time but yeah finding um finding it and prioritizing it is so important so i love that the third thing so you mentioned like what your kind of mission is is around generational wellness time affluence and financial freedom so how do you work Mm -hmm. with people around that yeah so i think as it relates to financial freedom i wouldn't say that i'm in a position i don't really work with people around it i might do a little bit of consulting around business ownership because i've been an entrepreneur for a little bit now Um, But as it relates to what I do for myself, it is ownership. When I was looking into what financial freedom looked like, all of the people that live the lives that I would say I would want to live as it related to where I was financially, they had some sort of ownership. So for me, I embarked on that journey when I started my business. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't have any background in business. I really didn't have any family members that own their own business. I was embarking on this one solo as well. And I was just like, I'm going to figure this out because I know that ownership will bring about an opportunity to experience financial freedom. So that that is more so related to, you know, the the making of money, right? Having equity in something that produces, you know, an increase in net worth, right? But there's also a psychological and mental side to being financially free as well. Because if I had to wait until I made it to a certain net worth before I felt like I was financially free, I would have been miserable all the way up until the time that I got there. So similarly to this concept of time affluence, I took time to do a deep dive into my finances. And it was probably back in 2018, I started to take into account every transaction that I made. And I would not only list out the transaction, I had a spreadsheet. I probably had like three years worth of spreadsheets somewhere in Google, right? But I would take how much I spent and why I spent it. And over time, I would notice while I'm spending money on things that I really don't need to spend money on. I just started to get more intentional about how I used my financial energy. And that gave me more freedom because I was able to create a budget. And I was able to do things that I wasn't able to do prior to making those changes. I was able to save, to invest, and to do other things that I just, I didn't think I could do yet. I would, I had to wait until I made it to a certain income level before I started doing certain things. When in all reality, you know, my money management is what impacts what happens to my money. So the same way I'll manage the hundreds of millions of dollars that I will have at some point, I'm managing this $10,000 in the same way right now. Right. So that was kind of, I, I, it was a mindset shift, but there's a, you know, kind of a two components of financial freedom. So for me, I'll be passing down, not only the financial literacy and the knowledge that I've been able to accumulate, 
but I'll also be be passing down some coins to my family too. That's great. Uh, that's another really good exercise to go through, I think. And, you know, financial stress is a very real thing. And I've, I've been like doing my own kind of deep dive in this and trying to find someone to have on the podcast to talk about that financial literacy, financial freedom, like changing our relationships to money because there is so much as mindset. You know, there's the money, there's the numbers that are on paper, but it, uh, so much of it is just the mindset that we have around what we have and what and what we don't have, right? For sure. And something that really helped me, I started to learn more about financial literacy before the topic was as popular as it is now. And there, there are books out there that like I, I love learning. So I I have like 180 plus audiobooks in my collection. I just listen to stuff all the time that is aligned with things that I want to develop in my life. And so I know one of the books, and I'll share this, that helped me as it related to my perspective on money. Um, well, one is The Richest Man in Babylon. I don't remember the name of the author, but The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, and then Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is one that is very, very popular by Robert Kiyosaki. Those two were really influential as it related to my my mindset around money and my money management. So just wanted to share those with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be looking those up. So you have a kind of like a three-step process for how these things can be achieved. So can you talk us through what that is? That's just, This is kind of like your theory of change, which I I love and I think you got to have if you have a real mission in life. For sure. And so, yes, this three-step process is how you create generational wellness. And it's honestly, it's the process that you, you know, the first portion of this process is what you can go through to improve or increase the quality of any domain of your well-being, including finances, right? And so the first step is awareness. And the reason why is because we can only take care of what we are aware of. So if you're not aware of what's happening, you're not going to be able to make informed decisions about potential adjustments you can make to change the quality of the experience that you're having with said thing. So this can look a lot of different ways, but I really like to narrow it down to four major areas to expand your awareness of. And this is more so directed to creating generational wellness as it relates to expanding your awareness of. The first is what's happening in your mind and body. So take some time to figure out where you currently are. You can get blood work done. You can journal you can do like a, a functional fitness test, right? There's various different ways that you can, you can just do that your awareness. money exercise too. Ex exactly. Yeah. The money exercise, spend some time figuring out what is currently happening in your mind and body, or in this case, right in your finances too. The second area to expand your awareness is how you're spending your time and energy. And I know one of the, the free guides that we created is centered around that. It's called the energy management guide. And it takes you through similar to the exercise Aaron mentioned before to where you take a, an entire week and you literally keep track of everything you spend your time and energy doing. It's it's intensive, right? But if you want to see change, you're going to have to experience some discomfort at some point. So you might as well do it in the beginning. <laughs> so that's a fantastic exercise. I do it every so often just to refresh myself. But understanding where you're spending your time and energy is really, really important. The third is understanding the quality of what you're consuming. And so 
Most times we stop consumption at what we eat and what we drink, but it's also important to expand your awareness of what you're watching, what you're reading and what you're listening to. And the beautiful part about the last exercise I mentioned, when you're expanding your awareness of how you're spending your time and energy, if you look back at the document that you keep of where you were investing your time and energy, you'll be able to see what you were consuming in that too. So you can kind of, you know, get both information in one exercise. And then finally, it is gaining a deeper understanding of how you're responding to what you experience, both internally and externally. So this is taking into account the conversations you're having with yourself. What tone are you using, right? What tone does your inner voice have when you're speaking to yourself about yourself, right? And then how you're ex- how you're responding to what you experience externally, whether it's other people, whether it's environments that you step into, what is your response to what's happening in your external world? So those are the four areas that it's important to expand your awareness of so that you can gather the data that then you can leverage to make adjustments to how you're spending your time and energy and ultimately how you're living your life as a whole. So that's awareness. That's the first pillar. Mm. The second step is accountability. And I talked about the importance of accountability before as it relates to our health and well-being and our relationship with the healthcare system. Right. But in general, our quality of life is our responsibility period. And instead of blaming other people for why we are where we are, it's time for us to stop doing that and to take responsibility for our current quality of life, right? What we expanded our awareness of. Now with accountability comes adopting healthier habits, right? The biggest portion of generational wellness are these habits that we practice. And so it's taking time to understand what sustainable self-care habits are going to make the most sense for you to integrate into your daily life. And when I think about sustainable self-care, these are things that you're already going to do every day. You're already going to do these things, but because you're incorporating more intention into how you do these things, you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck, right? You're really going to be contributing to experiencing an increased quality of life. So in this case, we're talking about sleep. You're going to sleep every day optimize your sleep, I promise you, you will feel better and you will experience more energy levels. Your life will change if you get better quality sleep. The second is breathe. You breathe every day anyway. So why not spend some time taking intentional breaths? And that could be in a formal mindfulness practice or just carving out small chunks of time throughout the day to just pause, breathe, bring your awareness to the present moment and just tap into the power of presence, which is is very important. The third, you're going to move every day. You're not just going to wake up and be in bed all the time. So incorporate some intentional time to move your body, right? To check in with yourself. It could be formal exercise. It could be parking a little bit farther away from wherever your destination is so you can walk a little bit further or going up some stairs, right? Whatever that looks like for you, just be intentional with how you move your body. And then the last one, actually, there's two more I want to share. The second to last one is getting some sunlight. So in the mornings and throughout the day leading up to when it starts to get dark, get sunlight, right? You're going to probably leave the house anyway. If you don't leave the house, you can definitely step outside for a moment. But getting sunlight is so beneficial to our overall health and well-being. It helps to activate various different processes in our bodies that promote us experiencing a high quality of life. Um, And then finally, we're going to consume something every day. So if we just incorporate a little bit more intention behind what we consume, making sure that it's 
uh, higher quality, right? It's whole foods. I know for some people that's difficult because there are food deserts. I'm, I'm well aware of that. But just increase the level of intention that you bring behind what you consume and do your best to keep that aligned with your mind and body operating at a high level. So those are five different ways that you can integrate self-care into your life that are simple and that are sustainable. And that then creates a lifestyle for yourself where now you're able to model these behaviors, right? So you had, you expanded your awareness, kind of did an assessment of where you are, took accountability, adopted some self-care habits, and now you're modeling these healthy behaviors And the third step is appreciation, right? The word appreciate means to recognize the full worth of something. And so by you recognizing the full worth of your life, right, where you started in your journey, where you are now, you're now sharing your story with the people that are in proximity to you, with your family, with your friends, with your community. And by you sharing your story, you become the catalyst for the change that you want to see in their lives, the same habits that you practice. They might not do the same thing, but you will motivate them. You will inspire them. You will empower them to take a different approach to how they care for themselves. And you become the ripple effect that ultimately will create positive change for generations to come. So you expand your awareness. You take accountability. You appreciate your life through sharing your story. And that's generational wellness. Wow. That's so amazing. And I really hope you're writing a book. (laughs) It's coming. coming. Okay, good. (laughs) Because we need this. (laughs) We need to keep sending this message out uh, as wide as possible. And I know that your focus is, you know, so much on black and brown communities, but this information is, you know, useful for anybody, you know, anybody who has, you know, been impacted and not, been prioritizing their health for whatever reason, you know, that might be. There's lots of, you know, there's lots of barriers to accessing um, health and wellness. So um, I want to, you know, I want to maybe put you on the spot a little bit here because you have a, you have a great podcast and you share lots of great tools on your podcast with your listeners. And um, you, I love it. You guide people through some exercises. So would you guide us through something that just might like help us just a quick something that might make us feel a little bit better in our day yeah thank you for asking that i think this is the first time that i have brought an exercise to a podcast that i've been featured on so this is going to be fun so the one thing that i would share that is something that we can do throughout the day. And most times this is very, very useful when we're experiencing acute stress, which I I can almost guarantee that we all experience this to some degree um, throughout the day. And first and foremost, I want to share that stress isn't good or bad. Um, To define stress, it is anticipating or experiencing um, adversity in our goal-related efforts, right? So really understanding that it's not good or bad, but if we're in a heightened state of activity or of alertness or of activation physiologically, that might not serve a useful purpose for every scenario that we're in. So this exercise is a fantastic way to reduce our level of internal activation, to calm ourselves down from the inside out. And this is called the physiological side. So it is a, and it's a 
inhale, then a quick inhale to completely fill your lungs, and then an extended exhale. Now, I normally say it's about three, one, five, three second inhale, one second quick inhale, five second exhale. But that process, remember, it's inhale, quick inhale to fill the lungs, and then an extended exhale. So let's do one together and yeah. then we can talk about how you feel, Aaron, after yeah. doing that. All right, cool. All right. So three, two, one. Yes. More of that. Love that. I really felt tension just kind of melting away too because my body responded like my shoulders kind of came up a little bit on the inhale my crown of my head lifted up a little bit to the sky and then on the exhale I just sort of depressed down that felt really nice yes and so I normally when I describe what it does for me I think about you know we all have pieces of technology so if you have a, a bit of an older iPhone, you know, how sometimes they start to work a little slower and you can reset your phone and it starts to work a little bit better for you. For me, that's a reset. So I do it about five times throughout the day. I have these mindful moment reminders that go off in my phone. And when they go off, it's just a gentle vibration. The first thing I do is one of those. And then I take like another five just intentional deep breaths just to check in with how I'm feeling and then get back to whatever it is that I'm doing. So I've found a way to incorporate it regularly into my day. But if you find yourself experiencing an increased state of activation mentally, you can leverage your physiology, right, to calm yourself down. So that's called the physiological side. Thank you. I love that. I'll be using that for sure. Probably be guiding some of my students in the yoga studio too because that's I, that, I always start every class with a big breath in a big breath out just let it go come into the present moment so I love that um so Ray uh you know I always ask everybody on this podcast what they do for self-care and you've already shared so many amazing things that you have done in your life and that you know practices that you have gone through so I want to know really just like today, what are you doing for self-care? <laughs> so today, I think the biggest thing that I do for self-care is taking naps. And I actually took a nap prior to hopping on this call. So for me training for this 50K, I take on a little bit more strain during the day than I normally would. And that naturally increases my sleep need. So I need to get more sleep in order to offset the strain, right? And so if I don't take a nap, then I'll either need to shift my bed and wake times to accommodate that, which I don't want to do, or I just will get less quality sleep because I won't get enough sleep every night. Mm. So I'll, I'll accrue more sleep debt. That's what it's called. So I take naps to help keep my sleep consistent. I can keep the same bed and wake times. I can still get the same quality of sleep during the night. But it, you know, it allows me to also contribute to my mental and emotional health by taking that time to experience some deep rest during the day. 
I'm able to consolidate things that I learned early on in the day. It's a great way for us to really promote our mental health by if not sleeping, then doing like a non-sleep depressed protocol like or like a yoga nidra or something like that throughout the day. It's very, very important. Um, so that is, I would say that's how I practice self-care today is prioritizing time for naps so that I can make sure I'm keeping my sleep consistent and getting the highest quality sleep possible. I love that. I also love that you mentioned yoga nidra because I guide people in yoga nidra. It's one of my favorite practices. I love that you do that. Well, thank you so much for sharing just so much of this amazing knowledge that you have. And it is clear that you really lead from your heart and a place of real authenticity in everything that you do. So um, how can we find you, follow you and show our love and appreciation for you? Definitely. So thank you once again for having me, Aaron. I really enjoyed our conversation and thanks again for for letting me guide us through that exercise. That was a lot of fun. Uh, So you can find me on Instagram at recovery.ray. Or if you want to check out Balance Period, which is the name of my organization, you can just type out both of those words, B-A-L-A-N-C-E-P-E-R-I-O-D. You'll see two lions in the yin-yang symbol. That will be our brand. And then the other place that you can find me is on LinkedIn. So you can find me Raymond Ashiel on LinkedIn. You can type in Recovery Ray and I should pop up there as well. Um, Same with Balance Period. And then our website. So balanceperiod.com is another place that you can go. Um, what I would really want to draw your attention to are a couple things that we offer on a consistent basis. The first is the podcast. So any listening platform that you're on, wherever you're listening to this on, just type in balance period and you will see those lions and you'll know that it's us. And then we also have a weekly newsletter that comes out. And so you can find that on our website um, or even on our Instagram. You can click our link tree in our bio and you can check that out. I think we're at like uh, volume 120 came out here recently and there's literally just resources every week that are centered around you incrementally improving your quality of life. We add a mindful moment. So there's a breathing exercise. There is a stretch routine that you're able to go through. There is a mindful reflection question for you to do some journaling. There's an affirmation that we added this year that you're able to recite to yourself for the week. Um, and then there's also an article that is just designed to increase and expand your level of awareness of various different ways that you can care for yourself. So that is another resource that I would highly recommend you check out. So many great resources. Thank you so much, Ray, for all the work that you do for your community, for the world, spreading this message. We'll be looking for your book for sure. So you heard it here on Self-Care Level 1000 that Ray's writing a book. All right. Thank you so much, Ray. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again. Self-Care Level 1000 is produced by me, Aaron Polly. It is edited by my brother, Evan Polly, and the music you are listening to was created by John Lerner. If you loved this episode, please rate and review wherever you are listening. That would be so helpful. Thank you. If you'd like to support this podcast and receive bonus content, self-care practices, and more, please subscribe at Patreon. 
follow the pod on Instagram at selfcarelevel1000. Send me a DM with any questions or comments. Until next time, drink lots of water, eat good food, get quality rest, and take care of you, friend.